Hello, this is Johnny Tong. My co-host Matt is on vacation, so we have a special episode cross-posting with the Makers.dev podcast where I was interviewed on their show. Makers.dev is a podcast of two bootstrap founders, Chris and Christian, documenting their journeys building software businesses and other wild ideas. It was a big inspiration to start by Grow with Pete, so make sure you check out their podcast at makers.dev. Enjoy. Johnny, we've missed so much great stuff already in our preamble chat up to this. How's it going? What are you up to? Why are you here talking to us? And who are you? That was six <laughs> questions at once, but <laughs> pick whichever one you want to answer. Uh, hello, hello. My name is uh, Johnny Tong, as um, Christian mentioned. I am here because I initially reached out to Chris, uh, who was gracious enough to be really generous with his time. So we recorded a podcast for my podcast, which is called Buy, Grow, Repeat. I am a SaaS founder and started a podcast, which was all because of you, Christian, because uh, I reached out to you about following this podcast uh, in particular and talking to you about what I've been up to. And you said, hey, I would love to listen to a podcast if you decide to start one. So I said, okay, well, that just lit a fire in me. So that's how my podcast, Buy, Grow, Repeat, got started. That makes me feel so good. I'm I'm so happy to have inspired you. I'm so glad that you're a listener. And I've listened to several episodes of Buy, Grow, Repeat. They're very good. I'm very happy that you're producing. And I wish more people would be doing that sort of thing of talking about what they're working on. I will say I haven't listened to most of them but it's not because I don't like it. It's because I stopped listening to podcasts. <laughs> I uh, like taking more notes and generating more things myself. So yeah, we'd love to help you. Chris, can you <laughs> read the message or at least say from memory of what Johnny messaged you of how he would like help? Because I was uh, interested in his phrasing. <laughs> yeah, it was something like, can you do for me what you do to Christian, which is uh, slap the nonsense out of him or something like that. <laughs> I don't remember. Get, yes. or get rid of the distractions. I, I don't remember the, the wording, but yeah, it's basically aggressively help. Johnny, my understanding is you are in a very similar position to me right now of like having a whole bunch of stuff that you're focused on. Not sure what the next thing you want to be working on is. I think you just want to like lay out what your choices are. And then Chris and I, probably mostly Chris, can be sort of like your boss as a service and give you some advice and direction of what it seems like the best way to go forward is. Does that sound right? Yeah, exactly. So my phrasing was, uh, can I get some Chris as a service? So I was thinking, what's going to be uh, the landing page going to be like? Probably with a big uh, Chris saying something <laughs> with his uh, hot takes, some famous quotes. So by Grow Repeat is around the journey, just very similar to Makers.dev. I recorded with a co-host, Matt, so we both acquired well online businesses. He's a, a WordPress expert. Interestingly, he recently just sold his WordPress plugin. For me, I, it's more a traditional Rails app. It's called SurveyBot, which I acquired a little over a year ago. And we've been documenting the journey in terms of ne- the negotiation, which isn't really talked about that much, how things got transferred over, migration, the difficulty of understanding taking over an app versus kind of building something from scratch, which has a lot more content, right? Of these solo founders, software developers, having an idea and building it and trying to grow that. With buying and with vetting, it's a slightly different process. I mean, there's a lot of similarities after you acquired it, you try to grow it. 
but it's somewhat different. So we're trying to bring some insight and perspective from that angle. Okay, so to try to repeat that back, the podcast by Grow Repeat is mostly focused on how you and Matt are acquiring businesses to grow them. Your particular project in that, which is something that you made, is SurveyBot. You made SurveyBot? No, no, no. I acquired it a year ago. Yeah. Okay, okay. And then... Yeah. And Matt did the same for his. Uh, So he kind of went full circle. He acquired it about two years ago. His uh, WordPress plugin grew it. And then recently, well, just in the past week, just sold it for a pretty good return. Yeah. Is that your goal as well to grow SurveyBot so that you can sell it? Or do you want to grow it and then run it? I always want to keep my options open. So everything that I buy, even things that I build, I try to build them in a way that is sellable. That is, if someone decides to knock on my door, that is ready to be sold. So I'm trying to keep those best practices in place, you know, keeping separate Stripe accounts, keeping yeah different Gmail accounts or G Suite accounts so that if someone wants to buy something from me, I don't have to go through the credit card and kind of split out all the different expenses, which Chris has mentioned. That's what I did. Uh, yeah. Was- <laughs> yeah. So what are you here for help with today? Is it SurveyBot? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that might not been talked about a lot is sort of this most of the stuff is mental, right? It's being able to describe a problem to someone else as a solo business owner or solo founder, just being in your own head. Because I think there's like a ton of information to learn about SEO marketing or conversion optimization, code, customer support, hiring contractors. All of this stuff could be probably learned on YouTube or blog posts. I think a lot of it is it comes down to when you're solo business operator on a Monday morning, you wake up, you're looking at all these support requests, or you're looking at your conversion funnel, not optimized. Like how do you approach fixing things at what order? And I think that's kind of what I get a lot out of when you're talking to Christian and when Christian is talking to you, Chris, right? Is that clarity, that mental clarity that comes out of that. And the reason why I reached out is because, well, probably for the previous two, three, four episodes, I think there were these moments where I go, wow, there's a lot of clarity that got brought out. Usually it's on Christian side because you seem to have a ton of energy, a ton of ideas. And Chris would just walk through what you're going through and give it to you straight, right? <laughs> well, that's a huge distraction. This is a great idea, but you know you shouldn't be doing it. So I'm just kind of looking for some of that. I don't know, call it mastermind. Yeah, call it a mastermind, private mastermind group or consulting uh, Chris as a service, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm trying to look, look for, rubber ducking the, uh, the problem. Let's do it. What's the problem? Sounds like things are going pretty well. You've got a podcast talking about how you're buying these businesses and growing them and selling them. And you have things structured in a way so that you're doing these best practices to be able to sell them and keeping all your finances separate. It sounds like SurveyBot's going pretty well and you've got other projects going on. How would you like your life to be different than it is right now? Uh, well, it's actually not going really well. So SurveyBot, I've been I've acquired it for a year and the revenue has been pretty flat. So I really need to clear up my mind so that I can look at what to do next. Right now, the conversion funnel, I feel, is, is somewhat broken. I think there are a host of, of issues, and I'm looking to share what I'm seeing in the funnel and see how Chris would approach it, or, or Christian, you would approach it in terms of prioritizing, in terms of what to do next if you are my managers. 
Okay. Can we start with a high level level overview of what SurveyBot is, what its features are, and then who buys it? Like what type of people use it? Great, great, yeah. So SurveyBot is a platform that makes it easy to conduct surveys on Facebook Messenger. There's also another segment of customers using Facebook Workplace, which is sort of a competitor to Microsoft Teams. There are sub-segments, so uh, some Facebook Messenger is used for lead generation. So it connects to a Facebook page. A bot could be created via SurveyBot. It gets linked to a Facebook page, and when someone messages your business Facebook page, a survey could be run and collect responses. Just for that one person, or like the whole page? For the whole page, basically. So when you're talking to the page, you're actually talking to a bot, and the bot's purpose is to run through the survey. I mean, you can have, you can design different bots, but SurveyBot's purpose is to do that. And so Facebook's platform is sort of being used by SurveyBot to help non-technical users, let's say, as a no-code solution to create a bot. So there are people doing lead generation, there are marketing agencies using that to do their market research because they're looking for people to collect uh, survey responses to. So these marketing agencies could be, or research agencies could be in academia, they could be in political campaigns or let's say brand research. Are these big companies buying it or small companies buying it? It's a diverse group, let's say. These research agencies could be you know, global research agencies. They're also sort of single consulting firm. That owner could be trying to use Facebook Messenger to qualify leads. But I would say those are not really good customers, I guess, because those are harder to onboard. This is more like anecdotal data. Yeah, it just seems that they're not a really good customer segment, at least for now. So I'm leaning towards those research agency groups because they would constantly have these um, have a need. And also the other group would be the Facebook workplace uh, companies because they would sign on. They might want to do every quarter a survey on employee satisfactions if you're in a I don't know, 500 Fortune 1000 company. Probably it's leaning towards the smaller ones. It's probably not like Fortune 500 because those it becomes harder a harder sell. Uh, right now, the whole thing is self-onboarded, especially on the Facebook workplace side because people, if they're using Facebook workplace, then it's part of the marketplace. Okay. Is that the primary way that people find you yeah. on the marketplace? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. And are there other competitors that do this too? Like how many other survey bots are there? Yeah. So the competitors are not exactly using Facebook Messenger. These could be more traditional HR solutions where, so this is talking about the Facebook workplace side. These companies could be more traditional HR tools where an HR department would use a tool to not just collect data via this, these surveys, but also set OKRs, have a template for managers to uh, use to manage goals for different teams. I would say it's not directly doing what SurveyBot is doing, but it's what people use as a substitute. It's more. And then on the other side as well, there's obviously Typeform, Google Forms. You can always use a form to do these type of surveys. The difference is that, well, you're not really tapped into the messenger user experience because you have to go through, they have to jump to another website to accomplish that task. Okay. I have more questions I could ask you, but the first thing that I'm thinking is, I haven't looked at your site yet, but is any of this written down on your site? So for example, for Acorn Chat, I just went through April Dunford's 
process of like making a buyer's guide basically where you specifically talk about competitors and you talk about like you just told us why it's different than google forms why it's better and then how it's different from the hr solutions how it's maybe not better but just different a different use case so yeah is that on your site anywhere or uh do you have content around that uh no <laughs> so my content marketing is definitely okay. lacking at this point it's been something that i've been having trouble kind of putting my finger on uh, focusing on one customer segment like i tend to flip-flop between different things right depending on what the latest customer support requests are so i relate to that yep yeah Yeah. in that sense i definitely have seen your page after uh, you put together that guide like for example one of the first questions you asked was do you use Slack, right? I think that's one of the most obvious questions for Acorn Chat, right? right? And then if yes, then do you have fewer than 15 employees or some questions like that, right? When you mentioned that, how are you thinking of applying to SurveyBot? Is it these like alternative pages, alternative to, or? You could do that. If you have nothing, I would start with a, a slightly more generic thing. Like I would definitely get some information, like, because if I were to hit this page, I would say, well, I could just use a Google Sheet, right? So why wouldn't I just do, do that? Let's see, what, what would I do? Christian, you want to jump in here while I'm thinking about... I would focus on the, the job they're trying to get done. So it, what I'm hearing from your descriptions is there's two categories of people who need to get surveys done. The first is like lead gen and market analysis, where people are doing cold outreach to people through Facebook. And the second is employee satisfaction surveys. It sounds like for people who are on some sort of Facebook business thing that I don't understand, but it sounds like that it's like a business who already has employee accounts and they manage the rest of their business HR stuff through Facebook. So for each of those things, let's tackle one of them at a time. If I'm trying to get employee satisfaction surveys, the question that I would want to answer from you is what's the best product for me to get my employee satisfaction surveys? That's the ultimate thing I'm trying to do. I'm trying to see how satisfied are my employees. I don't know anything about employee satisfaction surveys and what the software looks like other than this is a thing that I want because it's important for me to see uh, if my employees feel satisfied. I would love to go to a landing page or watch a video made by you that said, hey, you're trying to do employee satisfaction surveys. That's great. It's great because when you know how satisfied your employees are, you can better manage your human resource assets. And that's going to save you so much time and money and like people quitting and you didn't know that they were so dissatisfied for so long. And think of how much money you'll save by not having to hire recruiters and things. Okay, we've established we're on the same page. You understand me and why I'm trying to get employee satisfaction surveys. Now I want you to walk me through, like, how do you pick an employee satisfaction survey? This is a very complicated landscape and you you could do it wrong. First of all, do you have some sort of an internal way to do surveys already? Because if you do, it's probably going to be the easiest thing to do that. The question I'd be most interested in, I know nothing about this space, but I'm curious why this would be better than email. Why should I send my employee satisfaction survey through Facebook instead of just sending everyone a mass email to an Airtable form or a, or a Google Sheet form or something else? What does SurveyBot do that, that helps a particular type of customer? That, why the Facebook message would be, would be better? Because they're already on it. It's sort of like, you know, if a company is already using Slack, you can always Slack them a link to a Google form, to a type form. At the end of the day, you still have to do the collection anyway. You have to go to another user interface. So having all the employees already on that chat platform, some people like it because they feel there's no hop right from within what's familiar to some other website. Love it. Yeah, great answer. One of the pieces of advice that you can give to employers who are trying to navigate this complicated map of how to get 
employee satisfaction surveys, you can tell them, hey, if your employees are already on Facebook Messenger, SurveyBot's going to be the easiest way for you to go forward because it's going to be zero friction for your employees. You're going to get a really high response rate. You can send it much more frequently because it's just going to come up in the messaging app that they already have open. And then you'll be able to get instant results. And then like Chris walked through with his analog of this for Acorn Chat, be honest about like who this is not for. If your team lives in Slack, this is not for you. Maybe research a little bit like what a better survey platform tool would be for people who are in Slack. Or if your company lives in email, this is not a tool for you. That's the sort of thing I'd be looking for. And I think you can apply the same sort of process to people doing surveys in lead gen. Like if your customers, if the people you're trying to get information from are living on Facebook, if they're all, you know, chuggy moms, this is the best way for you to do that sort of market research. Yeah. So I'm taking a look at your site now, actually. And you actually have a lot of information on here. It's actually really good. Do people who are coming to the site already know what chatbots are and do they already know what surveys are? Yes. So they do know because I think the SEO term that is the best optimized is survey, basically survey bot or survey chatbot that tends to get quite a bit of traffic. So I think the intent is already there. That's the where the majority of traffic is coming from. Okay. So you already have traffic. Do you know where people are falling off? Like how far they get into the, the process? Well, that comes down to, I guess, looking at the funnel and seeing whether it's optimized or not. So it's a freemium model, so they can just um, log in or sign up for an account uh, with no credit card required. I would say it's around still like a single digit conversion, a single digit percentage conversion from traffic to sign up uh, for free for, a, for an oh. account. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, depending on your source of, of traffic, single-digit conversion can be okay. Yeah. If it's super high intent and you're only getting single-digit, single, ver- single digit, then that might be too low. But if it's like general visitors, all visitors, and you're getting single percentages, mm-hmm. then that's probably okay. I mean, it may not feel okay. I think that's expected anyway. Yeah, I, I think so too. Yeah, I think it's more about the sign-up to paid. So basically, they've signed up and... They probably are starting to create a survey. So some of these accounts, I noticed that they don't really even create a survey. So I don't know, maybe it's just, it could be bots. It could be people just are curious. They're just curious of what this thing is and they don't mind giving up their email. So they would come in and then be done with it. Have you tried any like reach out to any of these people? So have you like sent a personalized, uh, oh yeah, this is something that you could do. Have you sent personalized uh, emails saying like, I saw you signed up. I'm the the founder. And uh, if you need anything, let me know. Um, At least that, Um, if not more direct, like if you want to book a call or something like that with a link. Yeah, I did. And I don't get a lot of responses on those things. Yeah, so I'm, I'm starting to wonder whether actually the quality of the traffic whether a lot of it is just bots trying to, <laughs> I don't know, like do some something funky. It's surprising to me. You said most people who sign up don't create a survey. Is that right? I would say 50-50. And then sometimes they would create a survey, but then it's possible that they're struggling with um, hooking up to their Facebook page. I would see sometimes where a survey is created. So they, because in terms of creating a survey, it's single player mode. So it's easy to create a survey and just see how it works. And there's a WYSIWYG editor, which is easy for them to look at, preview the survey. But then after that, I don't see a lot of responses. And I think that's the trip wire, right? That 
once they hit uh, 50 responses, then it actually will ask them for the credit card. So if they don't even have any responses, I wonder what's happening. Because even if you preview, even if you, <laughs> even if you if they preview, if they try to preview to, to try to fill out the survey themselves, that would be a single response. So perhaps even for those people that are creating a survey, that traffic quality could be low, that people are just trying to play around with different things online. Yeah. I mean, you could, I would do a few things, I suppose. And I'm going to give you lots of ideas and give you even more ideas than you have, which is not a, a good thing, maybe. But I would definitely do an onboarding sort of uh, thing where you watch someone actually use your product for the first time. Uh, however, you can't like friends or, you know, they, whoever could be a real customer or could just be a friend. And um, you'll probably learn a lot. So like, it sounds like there might be some like things that are tripping people up. So I would do that. I would also, if you're unsure about how many signups are bots, you can find out relatively easily by putting like honeypot fields in your signup form and things like that. So I would do that. And if you don't know what that is, I can help you out with that. But yeah, then you'll at least know how many are bots. Oh yeah. I would also, if you're finding through your onboarding thing that like a lot of people are creating a survey and like they're having trouble putting it on their page, then I would definitely for all those little trip up points, I would have automated email triggers. I don't know what your back end is, but if it's easy enough to say like this person created a survey one day later, it's not on any pages, then, you know, send them an email saying, uh, I see you have some trouble, you know, is there anything I can help with? You can use a user list for that sort of, uh, automation. It's a very good product. I have a suggestion. So I just went through your onboarding as we were talking about this, and it <laughs> felt frictiony in a way that I can't quite describe. I think I'm going to have some sort of an intent when I'm searching for this thing of like, I want to conduct a user satisfaction survey, or I want to do a, an employee satisfaction survey. I want to be able to land on a page where you're able to tell me, hey, you're trying to do an employee satisfaction survey. That's good because this is the benefit that it gets you. Here are the questions that you should probably ask in an employee satisfaction survey. Number one, are you satisfied? <laughs> Number two, uh, are you dissatisfied? I don't, I don't know what you put on this. And I want to be able to edit those things, but have it pre-filled out for me. Just like right there in the landing page. I want, to, I want to change what the thing says. So like maybe customize it with my business name or something. And then I want a big green button that says launch survey. And when I click that button, I want it to say one more step. We just need your email and password because you don't have an account yet. And then I want to type that in and then say go. And then I want it to say, great, you can preview it here. And then I saw you have that little two-step thing where you have to like authenticate it through Messenger and then, and then I actually get it. But then, you know, the third step would be take this form yourself to make sure everything's working. And then the fourth step would be like, however I deploy this, however I actually send this out. What I would want to see is doing the user user testing for onboarding, like Chris is saying. I want to be able to see that someone who'd go from landing on the page to deploying that survey with no prompting of like being shown how to do stuff ahead of time within five minutes, I want to see that they can land on the page and then deploy it and get their first survey result. It wouldn't take a lot. It's just like moving things around uh, as they currently are in your onboarding. But that I think would reduce a lot of the friction that you're seeing then in the uh, sales funnel. It's, it's really surprising to me that fewer than 50% of people conduct be it a survey. That, that seems like I'm wondering if there's a bug or something where if they're on a certain size of screen, they're not able to see the field to be able to <laughs> create it or something. What Christian suggested is a pretty good idea. Like if people see a blank text field, then they like might freak out and like not do anything. But if they see what type of survey are you trying to create, you know, yeah, user satisfaction, employee satisfaction, like have, you know, like five different options and then a like custom or blank, you know, start with a blank one, then that'll get past that blank text field thing because they just click on the button 
because they know what kind of survey they want to do. Which he does have. Once you're through the onboarding, there's four different categories of pre-filled ones, lead generation, customer feedback, market research, and trivia. I just want to see those pulled into the landing page. I want that information like moved two steps before before I create the, the account. Christian, did you mean moving even the creation step ahead of the account creation? Or the, well, even user creation in this case. So yes. they're creating, okay, that's that could be which, interesting. Which like, it's not actually creating, just save it in like local storage and then hide that in the form when they're creating the account. And then when you actually create the account, create it with the first field. Going through a little bit more of this onboarding, I didn't realize there were five steps to be able to, to create the survey. The first one, there's all these settings of like, you know, what do you do if someone revisits your survey after starting it? For my very first survey, I don't care. That's like advanced settings. Don't show me this for my for my very first one. And then you have reminders, like just give me a same default and then don't have me fill this in. Don't even show this to me. And then campaigns, I think I'm confused what this is. I can pay for this to be a Facebook ad. I don't know what campaigns does, but I think whatever it is, like <laughs> I think I don't care about it for my very first survey. For the very first thing, for like the very first onboarding, get me to the value as quickly as possible. Get me a response from a person, also with a minimal set of questions. Something else I noticed was there were there were like nine or ten questions in the the survey that I picked. Make me a survey with like three yeah. questions and get me there within five minutes of signing up. Yeah, I think one of the challenges which I've never faced is when you are building something on your own. You know every single corner right of of the app i feel when i've inherited this i'm still learning things and it feels scary to sort of deprecate things and remove things because you're wondering whether you would ever need them because i think in terms of the when i acquired it i thought this was a good valued acquisition because in fact there's i think there's way too much stuff i feel this product could be even simplified by removing certain things and it would reveal some of the value. Like it feels like on this call, one of the first thing I should do or or one of the things I should ignore is certain customer segments should be ignored for now and just focus on, for example, this Facebook workplace segment because it's already part of a marketplace, right? It's very similar to Acorn Chat where I'm already on this exclusive marketplace as a Facebook partner and just try to figure out a way to smooth out the onboarding process and to see even if people don't convert, what what are the reasoning? Is it because, well, in the end, you know, they figure something that's missing that ServiBot is just not able to fulfill. And then if I can figure that part out, at least I can decide to pivot or not at that point rather than now I'm just kind of spread all over the place. And there's, I think, two (laughs) things you could do to help so I heard that you're like afraid to touch things and stuff. So uh, one thing would be add more instrumentation to it. So like know how, you know, how many things are bots, know where people fall off, know like even just like how many people actually use this feature. So like you talked about advanced features, try to either write some queries or maybe you have to add some things to like see if people even hit pages. And then the second thing is if you're afraid of removing things because people use them, you can always just hide them behind like an advanced features field. Yeah. Like Christian said, you want your main flow to be super simple, like as simple as possible. And then everything else can be a configuration and setting like a 
more hidden page. Yeah, like like for example, this when Christian says that these advanced, I totally agree. Those advanced settings for campaigns and after the fact, if I decide to remove them, then <laughs> there could be different consequences that I'm not even aware of right now. So part of it is to figure out. Well, should I? <laughs> figure out it's almost like an A-B test where there's a B-flow. So when I'm testing my marketing copy with the jobs to be done, the job-specific page, similar to uh, what Chris talked about in April Dunford's talk, go through that marketing page, which leads to the B-flow uh, onboarding. Yeah, it just feels like kind of complicated. You're almost like adding on more complexity in the immediate term. And then you try to figure out your answers and then try to go back and clean it up, right? If you're talking about A-B testing landing pages or A-B testing like user flow, you don't need to do that. Like, No, no, no. There are certain things that might look sort of simple on the front end where, oh, why don't you remove this step? But I think some of the settings, once they're removed, then this whole sort of survey lifecycle in the back end becomes uh, unpredictable because I didn't... I, then I have to start tracing out the code, right? To figure out like why something isn't working. It's something that I, I'll have to look into anyway. So yeah. That is a tricky problem. That's not that's not what I'm familiar with. Like <laughs> I guess all my stuff I just make. So like doing backend changes is, is uh, trivially easy for me. I don't think the solution is going to look like removing the feature. I think it's going to look like hiding it and then just you insert your default what it is. So that could be as simple as some JavaScript that like, does the CSS hide on the different pages and then make sure that your default values are entered in there and then clicks next. And then you show a graph of like, we're setting up your account. That's the sort of mm -hmm. thing I'm talking about. I think it could all be done with JavaScript mm -hmm. without knowing too much about the, the internals of the backend. So we've talked a lot about, let's see, onboarding, user experience. In your initial sort of message to me, you talk, wanted to, I think, talk about, what was it, conversion or traffic? What do you think is like the thing that you wanted to talk about the most? Or you're not sure? Everything. <laughs> I think I'm just in this sort of um, information overload. I have to be honest, I have to be, I'm in a somewhat frozen state because, well, well, number one is I inherited the, the, the entire application and there are still parts that I feel that I'm uncomfortable changing. So I think on the surface, I can see logically why, oh yeah, there's certain parts of the onboarding. Yeah, you can just rip this out, make it simple, make sure the shortest path to value is, is clear to whoever is new to this app. On the other hand, there are so technology problems on the back end. I think it's just mainly just spending time trying to figure it out, doing more support tickets will help me understand it, the app better. There's the market understanding there is copywriting, making sure that I can pick out one specific job or one specific customer segment and do testing. And then there's also well SEO optimization. Yeah, so it's just a basket of things. And I think, so in a sense, I, I think the call that I wanted is more meta is as a founder, how would you approach this if you were my manager? Like how would you suggest that I ignore certain things and not touch those things? So you have traffic. Maybe it's not as high as you want, but you have it. It's also converting. Maybe not as much as you want, but it is converting. Uh, or well, maybe I'll ask that question. Is it converting? You said it's flat. So are you churning and converting at about the same rate? Or what's the problem there? It's not converting very well. I mean, it's fairly low. Signups to paid is in the 
single digits conversion. Yeah, I feel for something like this where I think the value prop is quite clear, it doesn't require any sort of tight integration, right? It doesn't require a non-technical user to go into their server and insert like a JavaScript snippet. It's simply just clicking on and connecting to their Facebook page. I feel, yeah, the conversion is still low. So I need to somehow fix this to get this back on track. So what I'm hearing is like, you're sort of afraid to touch parts of it because you, so you inherited the code base. You haven't maybe gone through all of the bits in detail. And so even if you have good ideas about what to fix, I think you are sort of nervous about touching the bits of code. So this is actually one rare case where I might say that you need to do some coding uh, instead of marketing. Oh, Chris, what? you never tell me that. No, I don't. Um, <laughs> I guess I'd recommend a dual track. One is like, you can still do high level stuff like get a friend and watch them get onboarded and you can talk to people in your market, right? So you can still do that kind of stuff. But I would only approach those calls right now to learn generally, not try to come away with any specific messaging. And then at the same time, I would look at your back end. So go through every single file and every single line of code. If you you know feel like writing tests might be a good way to like make sure that you understand things. And then you could also add some instrumentation to see like how many people actually or run some queries to like see how many people actually use all the features. What those two things together will do is get you a better understanding of the market and your flow, the onboarding flow and where things might be falling down and get a better understanding of the technology at the same time. And so like none of that is like a deliverable. And so maybe that's why you feel frozen because that feels like you might be spinning your wheels. But as you get more knowledge about your back end and about your market, you're going to naturally have lots of ideas about what to do to fix it. So it sounds like you're frozen because I think you think like learning the back end might be a waste of time. I think you'd hit the nail on the head. It's definitely like the moment of clarity for me is that whenever I'm opening up like a text editor, I would feel this kind of voice in me, right? Telling me that, hey, why are you wasting your time? You know, go out and, you know, talk to users, try to figure out a way to, so that they will respond to your email, try to look at the marketing copy, fix the top of the funnel or middle part of the funnel rather than doing the coding you've probably have heard this talk before but so if you go listen to rob walling's talk about i think it was when he acquired dotnet invoice like he did all that marketing stuff but first he spent like three months fixing the code so like the first thing he did was like writing the ship the code ship and it sounds like maybe you haven't done the deep technical dive yet that would help i think yeah and i think a part of it is also <laughs> devops challenges that's one of the surprises that i got so i initially i hired the original uh, founder of the app. It's about five years old. So initially when the chatbots was all the rage, the initial founder created it. Around 18 months later, he sold it to another larger company. And that company didn't really do much with it. So it let it just sat there. It still generated revenue. I think they did a bunch initially. Um, and then they just got, they just want to get rid of it. That's when I came in. When I hired the original founder, he moved it to a different infrastructure on AWS. And I think that also increases sort of the technical knowledge required because now, you know, there are like Docker images involved. There are like different services involved, which I haven't really touched for a long time. And there are all these new things right coming up. I think that increase also the burden on just maintaining something, just keeping it up and running. If I need to update a package, just having to go through that continuous integration cycle is quite challenging for me. I have 
an insane suggestion that I just have to get out there. What if you recoded serverless? The entire app? <laughs> serverless could be, could be serverless. You want to make it serverless? What if you recode it from scratch? For sure, I think we should definitely start from scratch, and that'll be for real though. Like, if uh, I'm hearing, there's a lot of friction in the way this was made from a DevOps perspective. They're using Docker containers. You don't like Docker containers. You're a developer. You have your own ways of that you like to, things that you're familiar with. For sure, yeah. It's not like you're creating the entire app from scratch. Like, you can reuse all the views. You know what the rough app layout is. None of these features are like ill-defined. If you want to, you can use the same language so you can like copy over mm-hmm. the, the API stuff. But mm-hmm. in the process of doing that, you will also do what Chris is suggesting, which is reading through uh, all the different code. Like You will have touched all the different parts of it. And then at the end of that, you'll have this rock-solid thing that's been rewritten that is uh, something that you totally understand, the DevOps uh, structure that you like and that you understand. Mm-hmm. And then you can go forward on marketing full force. And you know when you hear a suggestion like, well, what if you move the survey creation to before the user creation? When you hear something like that, after you've recoded the entire thing and you understand the entire code base, you'd be like, oh, yeah, because you know that would be, you know if I just move this thing over there, then yeah, that would totally work. Chris, tell me I'm crazy. <laughs> tell me this is a bad idea. <laughs> well, you are, but... <laughs> oh, um, no. I was, hoping, I was hoping for that. Mm, maybe... <laughs> I mean, it depends on how big the app is. It also depends on so which what language is it written in? Uh, Rails. Rails. And do you, what would you if you built a new app today? What would you use? So it's probably do it in JavaScript. I think one of the issues that the original founder told me was this response time, which I think I've brought it up to you as well. That sometimes you could hit a very popular Facebook page, and then I think messages started. To drop, there's this ongoing issue that has never really been fixed because it was on this old infrastructure. So when he moves this to the new infrastructure, he thought it was going to fix the problem. But I still think it could be an issue just because of how, like the characteristics of the usage, right? Where you can hit a, where someone can send out, you know, 10,000 surveys in the same window. And then it would just crash the things. Messages started to drop and um, it doesn't even gracefully degrade, I heard. I did some um, interview with uh, previous customers when I took over. Chris is um, about to suggest serverless. I'm about to suggest serverless. That's it. That's why I love serverless so much. It just it automatically scales. It's so fast. I know. In my dreams, I have thought about doing that, and then I wake up, and it was just a dream. <laughs> is this your full-time thing? Are you trying to do this full-time, or is this like one of many projects? Yeah, so so I think that's another sort of mental hurdle that I'm trying to get over, is that initially... When I found this, I thought, oh, this is like a fairly mature thing. The price was right. And I wanted to, well, buy, grow, repeat, right? So we started to hire contractors to uh, maintain this so that I can focus on the sales and the marketing and then look for the next app, right? But it got to a point where this is like the first app and it's more challenging than I anticipated. So I also have someone who is investing in this model, right? Where um, we want to be able to have sort of a portfolio of of small, well-built, well-run apps. So in a sense, there's this feeling of, I can't let this go until this model is proven with Mm. when N equals one, there's that as well. And I think there's also a lot of kind of self-talk and to figuring out if this is already the first one is supposed to be a, a smaller one than compared to eventually want to buy like bigger apps, then how do I even scale this if this is already quite a bit of a struggle? Yeah, I can see that. I mean, it's tricky. When you think about this idea of this portfolio of small apps or portfolio of apps, 
Who do you see maintaining all of that? Do you see uh, yourself doing it or the this other investor? Or do you see you hiring people? How does that work in your in your mind? Yeah, I'll be hiring people. So it will be yeah hiring contractors and customer support people. Well, part of the thing is that the app has to be good enough, right? That it, it can't be kind of falling down all the time or there, like the business can't be shifting all the time where um, someone is trying to actively pivot all the time, right? That has to be some stability. So in a sense, I'm thinking in terms of evaluating, well, is this just an outlier where if I can do another deal, perhaps a bigger deal, some of these problems will be gone, right? There's always going to be problems <laughs> with apps. For sure. So. Yeah. It's good that you're doing it on small scale first, I would say, yeah. It sounds like you have to figure out what you want to do with it. If you want to try to sell it, then I would focus on the marketing and the onboarding. So learn just enough about the code base to figure out how to simplify the onboarding, how to, you know, then that's when you can start talking about like, you know, maybe running ads or something to show that you can drive traffic to it and then turn around and sell it. But if you want to keep it in your portfolio, then I want you to be really comfortable with the back end, you know, so that either means investing in doing it in Rails, so like really learning the Rails code base, or maybe you start redoing it. Um, if you do redo it, I wouldn't try to do it all at once. I would do the very simplest thing that you could do. But yeah, like if you want to keep it and run it for a long time, I think you have to be comfortable with the back end, which it sounds like you're not right now. So The simplest thing you could do in that, by the way, is just make an app that just does onboarding. And then the end result of that app is just whatever the smallest amount of data you need to be able to create an account in the actual app. And then you just make a bridge between those two. Yeah, just populate the database and then jump to the nut, the other app. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. What do you feel like doing? What does your brain tell you <laughs> is the best thing to do? I'm aware that there's probably a lot of sunk cost fallacy, right? It's possible that I'm chasing after all the sunk costs, right? And, and all this time that has been put in, right? And, and it's, you know, vetting different deals and ending up on this one. So perhaps I'm also anchored to the positive feedback that I got from previous customers that I would interview and they, they're excited to hear that, oh, there's a, a new person who's in charge and there's certain things that are broken, could be fixed by this new person coming in. As a builder, I'm always trying to fix things. It interests me to fix things serverless. I, I actually looked at, I was thinking about, oh, this like a messaging messaging app. Oh, maybe you should look into Elixir and Phoenix. Um, <laughs> that is the perfect mental model for something like this. I would avoid using new technology, but that's not <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the day, I also have to be responsible to the person who's putting in the money, right? To evaluate with a different lens, right? From the investor's point of view. So... Yeah, I want to set a timeline to look at, to clear up, to clear my head, to try to fix certain parts of it. Um, just like you said, Chris, on the marketing side, making sure it's clear and try to see, well, there's traffic is constant to the page, so that's good. But at least can I fix the conversion part, then I can have a clear mindset to see what what is the next step or whether the next step would be to sell this yeah the other thing you could do so we're almost out of time but i'll leave you with one more thing which is it sounds like you're having some difficulty with investing time in the certain areas probably because you're a little frozen and you're already used to hiring contractors uh one cheap way to 
do this is instead of hiring the contractor to fix the thing, you can hire professionals to come in. So like you could hire a really senior Rails dev to come in and just look at the code, right? Spend like a day on it, right? Might cost you, I don't know, thousand bucks or whatever. And then give like basically a report to you. So like, you know, do a screen share for an hour and walk through the biggest problem areas that, you know, they find, you know, their general feelings and stuff like that. Um, then you can do the same thing for onboarding. Find an onboarding specialist, you know, just pay for a day of their time and have them walk you through it. And then do the same thing for, you know, marketing copy. After, you know, four or five days of paying professionals, you can have like a really thick lens of everything in your app. It's a lot cheaper than asking them to fix the thing. It's just asking them to look at it. And that was the uh, motivation for the message sent to you, Chris. Okay, great. <laughs> and I did it for free, so there you go. <laughs> Even more clever. We talked a lot about like the technical things and like the individual advice of how we might improve onboarding, but Johnny, you keep pulling it back to like, this idea of mind frame and like motivation. I'm I'm curious if there's a deeper thing going on here. It sounds like there's a complicated, perhaps a, a complicated motivation between you and your investor that like maybe you feel some pressure to make this perform and, and maybe you feel like guilty that it hasn't. And maybe some of the paralysis you're feeling is that you've tried a few things and none of them have worked and you're just not feeling motivated to push this forward in any respect. And you're waiting for like a really clear thing that like this is the obvious thing to do, make this make more money. What's your understanding of like the your emotional relationship with this project? Nothing that I think we've talked about has been radical. It's been like, okay, well, here's some ways that you can improve onboarding and here's some suggestions of how you could get more familiar with the code. What do you think is going on that you're not feeling motivated and confident to push that sort of thing forward? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. So I think this is the segment about my uh childhood trauma or something like that and I, <laughs> i'm just like i'm just like no i'm just no i don't have any i don't well i'm at least i'm not aware of them <laughs> if I, if I, that means you definitely have them yeah it's like sometimes you know you wake up and you're like what is the purpose of life <laughs> i guess the thing that attracted me was as a builder i built different things and i remember in the initial stages of building was extremely hard because you could try to create something and you, you have a brilliant idea and then you start talking to people right i think that's already like somewhat of a leap right for a lot of builders they just want to build 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 right when i try to do quote unquote the right thing there's always this sort of unclear picture that you initially your idea was very clear and then you start talking to people and they're not really buying your idea or your, your app idea or your prototype. And you kind of have to kind of meander through different stages. And it's really expensive, right, that time. So the idea of seeing something, an app that's already somewhat SEO optimized, you could find apps that people are just not, they just don't have the time to maintain. It feels like a good opportunity. And you've talked about this, right? And that's why, well, Chris, you sold your app to someone who, who wants to take it to the next level. So I think there's a certain level of interest from me on not having to go through that, not having to go through that, well, brilliant idea, but spending all time trying to pivot around and in the end, it may not be even that great of an idea, right? After several pivots. So yeah, just trying to look for opportunities like that. And I ended up on SurveyBot and I was pretty excited when I acquired it because I thought, wow, this is something that I thought would be really difficult to acquire. Because most of the stuff you see, either they're like super overpriced, at least when I was doing the vetting process, they're either like the multiples are pretty crazy or they don't have any revenue, right? They're just sort of like a toy side project someone built. So ended up with 
survey bot, I thought, oh, the thing is, while there's relatively low risk, even if this doesn't work out, it's not going to be a huge loss. We can take a second shot, a third shot. But the thing is, like, once you get into it, I had some surprises in terms of thinking that, oh, if I'm trying to grow something, it will be just the same way as if I build it from my, from scratch. But it's different. Like, even trying to figure out Facebook Workplace, like, what is that? Who is using it? Like, who are interested in it? It feels not as easy as I initially anticipated. So I think that's those are the surprises that I'm trying to get out of that. And I'm also working solo. That has its benefits, but also drawbacks as well. Yeah, so there's a lot of self-talk, a lot of self-sabotage happening every single day that I'm trying to get rid of. Yeah, that's rough. I mean, the, the truthful, you know, like honest accounting of like the difficulties, like, yeah, that's good. I think more people need to hear about it. It's not all super easy uh, app building. I don't want to give you more homework, but two books that helped me with sort of self-sabotage and, and uh, self-talk and stuff are The War of Art. That's one of them. Yep. <laughs> okay. And uh, The Artist's Way is another one. The biggest thing I got out of The Artist's Way was uh, called Daily Pages. And so that's why, like we talked about this composition notebook I have all the time. So whenever I'm feeling stuck, I just force myself to longhand write out three pages. And it doesn't matter what I write. It just has to be three pages. And by the end of it, I always feel better. Like I always am more motivated and I have more, you know, like focus. So maybe try that. Just longhand write out three pages about anything. I do the same thing, but talking to myself in a auto dictation app oh, yeah. on long walks that it works really well. I mean, yeah, it's about three pages and then I'm, I'm unstuck and just like feeling better about life in general. I was most struck by you came to this with this idea that buying a product with marketing in place and with users coming in would fix the problems of trying to build SaaS from scratch, which is, I think, an idea that I have had maybe up until this conversation. But like the reality of it is there are still problems in that. And one of those problems is you're not as familiar with the code base and it's harder to make changes. And you know, you're not as familiar with why things were built in the way that they were built and who the people are, are that are using them. Which makes perfect sense. It's just not something I was thinking of. I'm, I'm reminded of like this grass is greener mentality that I think, <laughs> like Chris and I, when we came away from MicroConf, we both had several conversations where we were like, "Oh man, you know, I, I just talked to this guy who's making iPhone apps, and he's making a million dollars a year. What are we doing? We should be we should be making iPhone <laughs> games instead." You know, everything comes with its own set of challenges, and I think the meta game is just figuring out how to push forward no matter what the challenge is. I think my main takeaway from this conversation is the core thing that would help you move forward is better managing the internal game, doing things like morning pages, just just like consistently pushing forward. And then the business strategy, once you get in a better headspace, is things that are going to be improving onboarding and focus on the niche of what customers need, who are these businesses conducting employee surveys does that sound about right mm -hmm. yeah it's all i would say 99 percent in my own head arguably everything is 100 percent in your head. <laughs> the world is just a simulation you create with your mind. <laughs> all right well is there anything else that you wanted to talk about before we uh, wrapped up no that's it thanks for your time Thanks for being on. It's been cool. Chris, that's all I got. That's all I got, too. Then I'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.